Welcome to the 86th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about MLB playoff action and have some predictions as we now have the start of the NBA season underway. Let's jump right in with a look at the start of Major League Baseball Championship Series playoff action, starting with the National League Championship Series where the Braves lead the Dodgers three games to two. In this series, you had the Braves come out. I mean, we both said that the Dodgers were probably not going to win game one, and if they did, then uh, Atlanta would be screwed. And, I mean, we were pretty much right on right on with that because if you look at the rest of the series, uh, if Atlanta had not won that close game one on a walk-off and then won that close game two on a walk-off, they would actually be done. They would have lost the series in five games. However, they did win both of those close games, not just game one that we said was a must-win. They also won that extra game two in a close game, and that put them ahead 2 nothing. Uh, same position they were in last year, um, and then they and then the Dodgers took two of three at home, and then in the scores of that, uh, the first game was three to two Atlanta, uh, I believe four total home runs if I'm not wrong, uh, maybe or no actually it was one by each team, and then uh, and then a final run on a walk off that ended the game, but uh, game was really hard fought. I mean, didn't expect the Dodgers to do so much in a bullpen game, but. They did pitch pretty well, and uh, it, it ended up pretty good for the Dodgers. But, you know, the hitters just didn't come through and do enough to prop up the pitching. But they didn't do enough, and uh, that's how they ended up losing that first game. In the second game, the Dodgers jumped out to an early 2 nothing lead on a Corey Seager two-run home run. Uh, but then the Braves came back with the longest home run of the postseason by Jock Peterson to tie the game at two. Chris Taylor got two RBIs in the seventh on a on a basis almost basis clearing double uh, with the bases loaded but then that was in the top of the seventh but then the Braves came back in the bottom of the eighth and scored two runs and then eventually got a hard single that could have been caught by Corey Seager but he had already made another play saving uh, pretty much saving a guy from getting a third that would have scored later on in the inning anyway so I can't really put too much fault on him for that Um, but they do walk off both games to start the series and uh, the Dodgers were in that familiar 2-0 hole but with a much different roster, with uh, with an already uh, with an injured roster that didn't have Max Muncie and Clayton Kershaw, and also with a roster that uh, was starting to lose Justin Turner as he was dealing with some neck injuries and could not start Game Two because of that. And as we know later in the series, he uh, ended up pulling his hamstring, which is another issue that he was dealing with, a Grade Two hamstring strain that's going to require that's going to make him miss the rest of the playoffs. Um, and I mean, really just an injured Dodgers team, but somehow even with all that going on, Dodgers won game three, uh, with Justin Turner back in the lineup. They won that game six to five after being down five to two off of a Cody Bellinger three run home run to tie the game at five. And then a Mookie Betts double after Chris Taylor singled right after Bellinger's three run home run, uh, to put the game at six to five and the bullpen came in, did its job, closed the game six to five. Then the Braves bounced back. Uh, they The Dodgers were not able to get out to the early lead that they had gotten off to a few times in the series. The Braves scored the first four runs off the game, actually five runs in the game. Uh, the Dodgers responded with two in the bottom of the fifth, but it was already five to two, and then the Braves tacked on, not, tacked on four extra runs in the top of the ninth inning, uh, and that was off of an Eddie Rosario three-run home run and also a Freddie Freeman double. And by the way, Eddie Rosario has just been ridiculous in this series. Uh, it's really not even, I wouldn't say unsung heroes. I think they've been, I think everybody's been singing their praises, but really in both series, 
it's been guys who are not the top level roster, top roster level guys, and they're still just performing. I, I'm speaking of Eddie Rosario, and even men, when you think of a uh, Kike Hernandez or even also Jock Peterson for the Braves, uh, these guys are coming out and performing, and they're part of the reason why their teams are being successful. Um, and in the end, the Braves get that help from Eddie Rosario. He's been playing amazingly, and they win that fourth game, nine to two, put the Dodgers on the brink of elimination and another familiar position, just like last year. Uh, but the Dodgers, after giving up a two-run home run in the first inning, it looked like it might be all over, and it was trending in the wrong direction, down 2 to nothing in a bullpen game when they really needed a lot of offense. Got none in the first inning, and you almost felt the doubt started, start to creep in. But A.J. Pollock hits a solo home run off of Max Fried, and then you have Chris Taylor get a, after Pujols gets a 3-2 hit, uh, Chris Taylor hits one of the three home runs he would hit in that Game 5 uh, to put the Dodgers up 3-2, to two, and they really never looked back from there. Uh, that w- Those were all the runs they needed, but the Dodgers kept tacking on. Uh, Taylor then singled in another run in the in the, in the third inning after that two-run home run in the second, uh, making it 4-2. to two. Then he hit another home run, another two-run home run to make it 6-2. to two. Then he hit a solo home run in the seventh to make it 7-2. to two. Then uh, Trey Turner got himself an RBI to make the game 8-2. to two. And then A.J. Pollock with the exclamation mark on the game with a three-run home run. 11-2, the bottom of the lineup really scoring all the runs for the Dodgers. Chris Taylor with six RBIs and A.J. Pollock with four himself. So 10 from Pollock and Taylor who were hitting fifth and seventh in that game, uh, which is which are some pretty big contributions. But that's what the Dodgers really needed all series, and uh, especially with Turner a little bit nicked up to start and now just out in general. They really needed these guys to step up, and Cody Bellinger has, but he's really been the only one to answer the call so far. Um, and everybody else has just pretty much been playing how they've normally played, although for some players that means playing pretty damn well if you think of Mookie Betts and Corey Seager. Uh, But Trey Turner has not been too great, Uh, and A.J. Pollock was having a rough postseason for the beginnings too, and then in this game when he gets the start as as, uh, Turner goes out, uh, he performs. So maybe the Dodgers can carry that into Atlanta and maybe put the series back in their favor, but uh, it'll be a tall task. Yeah, strange series. Um... Dodgers' worst starting pitching performances are from their best starters. They win bullpen games. The uh, the Braves win a bullpen game. Their best starter, Max Fried. Well, the Dodgers the went one and one in their bullpen games that they've pitched. Um, their best starting, I was saying, their best starting pitching performances were their bullpen games. So they they the teams take two nothing leads. I think every team has taken a two nothing lead in a game has lost the game. Uh, it's been a very just a weird series. And the Dodgers though are. Hobbled by injury, you didn't mention Joe Kelly, also their starting pitcher who started Game 5. He leaves the game with an injury. He's not a starting pitcher, he's a relief know, pitcher. He, start, he, start, who, he was their starting pitcher for that game. So they lose another arm in the bullpen. Um, strange series, I think it's an uphill, really an uphill battle for the Dodgers at this point. I think the gas is going to be out of the tank. We've seen them bust open for a bunch of runs and then not score any runs the next game, and I think that might happen. Well, um, if... I mean, we're not just a baseball podcast, and as we know, we talk about a lot of other sports, and uh, there's one constant with Atlanta, and that's that they choke leads, so I mean, <laughs> there's nothing... Forgot about the Atlanta there, factor. There's not a single team that I would count out from beating Atlanta. I wouldn't count out the Orioles from coming back 3-1 down in a series over Atlanta just because of the fact that it's Atlanta. Uh, there's just something about it. I have no idea what it is. You can ask Tom Brady. Maybe he knows something about it with his 28-3 to comeback win. Uh, you can ask any Dodger from last year. You can ask Jock Peterson why it happened. I don't know. But uh, Atlanta keeps choking, 
and no one knows why, and maybe this is the end of it because now people have talked about it for so long that maybe they'll dispel it. But at the same time, it's not the roster that they expected to, to be closing out a series because they don't have Ronald Acuna. They don't have Marcelo Zuna. Uh, and some of their pitching has gone too. Mike Soroka's also gone. Uh, it, it's not the same roster they thought. Uh, and it's not really for the Dodgers either. So there's really no advantage when you come to the, when you go to the injuries in that in that category. Although the Braves have had their injuries for a lot longer and were able to trade to make uh, to make up for the injuries they had, while the Dodgers had most of those injuries after the trade deadline, which did not help at all. Um, but it, look, th- there's still a chance that the Dodgers win the series. But I, I'm with you that it's definitely definitely an uphill battle, and it doesn't matter if it's Atlanta, Toronto, any city. Uh, three one is a tough lead to come back from, and uh, or tough deficit to come back from, uh, especially when you have not really pitched as be- as well as you think you could have, and the Braves have just been pretty much hitting nonstop in the series. Uh, no really bad game. They haven't scored less than two in a game, which is something that the Giants couldn't say as they scored one in a few games. And I mean, they won a game one to nothing. They also lost many games with two runs, one run. Uh, so the Dodgers just not getting that benefit this time, playing okay offensively overall, but not enough to beat a team as good as Atlanta on offense so far. And uh, we'll see if they can continue that for the rest of the series or if the Dodgers can really tighten up the pitching to be all-star level and then shut them down enough that their hitting doesn't need to be all-star level itself. It just needs to be decent. Uh, that's probably the best in route for the Dodgers in the series, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, speaking of an uphill battle, let's move over to the American League Championship Series where the Red Sox have an uphill battle themselves, trailing the Astros three games to two in that series as the series uh, turns to Houston. Well, Boston set themselves up very, very well by winning Game 2 in Houston after a tough Game 1 that they only lost 5-4. to four. Uh, Then they won Game 2 9-5 on the road, and you thought, uh-oh, this is the same thing that happened to the Rays. The Bo- Boston's going to win two or three in a row at home. Well, they won one at home, scoring 12 runs, winning 12-3 to three in Game 3, but... In Game 4 and Game 5, their offense went completely stagnant, and Houston wins Game 4 9-2 and wins Game 5 9-1. Uh, overall, I mean, look, Game game 5 was really Houston got one run to take the lead, and then in the 6 just erupted for 5 more to put it to 6 to nothing, uh, and the game was really over from there. But that 9-2 line in Game 4 is really not indicative of how close that game was. Uh, this game was 2-1 to one Boston all the way until the seventh inning. It was 2-1 to one Boston at the end of the first, all the way to the end of the seventh, and yet Boston ended up losing that game 9-2 to two because the Astros got one to tie in the eighth off of, an, off of a Jose Altuve solo home run, and then they got seven runs in the top of the ninth after uh, Alex Cora took a gamble and pitched Nathan Eovaldi out of the bullpen as a closer. That gamble did not pay off, although maybe that gamble did pay off uh, as he got one out after he got into a jam. He got one out, but then he took him out after getting the one out, and maybe the gamble would have paid off if he stuck with his gamble, but unfortunately he didn't. He took out Nathan Eovaldi, uh, and his inherited runners caused them to lose the game uh, as the Astros just kept piling on. Jason Castro got a single to knock someone in. Brantley doubled, scored two. Then Alvarez singled and scored, and scored one. Uh, Then Correa got an infield single, and there was an error, and Boston just really came a part of the seams all the way until uh, Houston had batted around in the lineup and scored seven runs in the ninth. 
Uh, and that's really how this series got to where it is now, where it is 3-2 Astros. And uh, look, Boston missed their opportunity. They had a game on the road that they won. And if they had won two of three uh, at home, they would have only needed to have won one out of two on the road to win the series. Instead, they win the first, they win two in a row. They go up 2-1, but they don't win either of the next two at home and thus now have to win two in, the, two in a row on the road. Not a good situation. Boston has really fallen into uh, a bad trap there. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've summed up the series very well. I think Boston fans were, I know they were, we saw them on TV partying uh, after the game on the post-game show for about an hour nonstop. The streets filled. For game, game three. three win. After they beat them 12-3, to three, and I think they thought they had the series won. At least their fans certainly did. And Houston's game turned around, as you said, not so fast. Two nine-run games. held Their pitching held Boston down. And uh, this series is in Houston's control. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you talked about the pitching there for a second. I mean, the one big sur- turnaround in the series is that Fromber Valdez and Luis Garcia started the series, game one and two, and gave up a bunch of runs. And I mean... Even though Houston did win game one, they did not get a good pit, good pitching performance. Uh, and in the first four games of the series, or first three games of the series, I believe the starting pitchers, none of them get made it past the third inning. And then game four is when that changed because Framber Valdez pitched a great game. Uh, and in the end, his pitching performance, or actually no, Zach Granke also pitched a pretty bad game in game four of that series, um, allowing the Red Sox to take that lead at, at 2 nothing, but then uh, they got the bullpen in to close out that second inning, make sure that Boston didn't score any more runs. Um, and then in Game 5, you saw Framer Valdez turn around what he did in the first game. Uh, he had a no-hitter, I believe, through five innings of this game. The the Boston... The Boston. Uh, <laughs> Boston only had three, three hits total in the entire game, uh, and Valdez went eight innings with only one run given up on a solo home run, and that was all he gave up in the entire game. Uh, a great pitching performance after bouncing back because they did not pitch well in the first two games, and he was a part of that. Uh, he was one of those starters, and then he bounced back, pitched well, and uh, as it's going on right now, Luis Garcia is also having a great game pitching right now for them who had a terrible game in the first game too, and it looks like Houston's going to win this, let's be quite honest, because Boston is still not doing anything on offense as this game is in progress. Yeah, well, we will see if either of the two road teams trailing by two runs, I mean two games in these series, needing two wins in a row on the road, can get it done in advance to the World Series. That'll wrap up our look at Major League Baseball Championship Series playoff action. Let's now turn our attention to the NBA, which started its season this week. So, Patrick, let's uh, first hear your predictions for... Uh, which teams may make the uh, Western Conference Finals and then the NBA Finals, uh, sorry, then the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, then we'll talk about maybe the NBA Finals, and I don't know if you're going to predict a champion, but just some other thoughts on the on the NBA season as we open action. Let's go start in the Western Conference Finals. Who do you, who do you think is going to end up facing each other there? Well, first of all, I was thinking that uh, a lot of people have been talking about the Warriors, and uh, I do believe in the Warriors, but especially after what I saw from Steph Curry last night against, or maybe that wasn't last, no, it was last night, uh, against the Clippers where he came out, started the game 10 for 10, uh, and you had people on Twitter, I think Donovan Mitchell talking about Steph scoring 75 possibly because he really was on a crazy pace. I think he had 28 at the end of the first quarter, something ridiculous like that. And uh, look, they are, I mean, the Warriors are really, really good, and they're going to get Klay Thompson back later in the year. They already started to play better at the end of last year. Now this roster has some synergy. Uh, by the time that Klay Thompson comes back, 
he won't necessarily disrupt that synergy, but he'll uh, it, it'll take some time for him to integrate into kind of the same system, but that's a little bit slightly different just because of who's around him. It's not exactly the same guys anymore. Although the Warriors also did bring back Andre Iguodala, so they're getting some familiarity back, and Kevon Looney. So uh, it is a lot of the same pieces that they won championships with in the past. Uh, so I won't count them out. However, I also won't count out a lot of the teams in the West because there are so many good teams in the West. We could talk about all of them for forever. But for my actual prediction, I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I'm going to take the Lakers, which I think that's not on the off the board at all. Um, but I'm also going to take the Utah Jazz. I think by the end of the year, the Lakers will have it together. And I think that the Jazz last year, what they did in the regular season was who that team was. And I think what they did in the playoffs was just uh, just them not really having any real playoff experience uh, as, a, as a full roster with Mike Conley and everybody together. Uh, and I think they got beaten by that Clippers team just because that Clippers team has so much playoff experience, uh, a lot of playoff experience together. They had their own style kind of figured out more than the Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was playing injured throughout that series. I believe that if the Jazz stay healthy and the Lakers stay healthy, it'll be those two. However, in all likelihood, neither of those teams are going to stay fully healthy. I mean, the Jazz probably have a better chance than the Lakers to stay healthy just because of the age factor in it, but I wouldn't bank on the Lakers staying fully healthy, so I would not be surprised at all if this prediction is wrong. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if neither of the teams are in it, just like last year where you had the Suns and the Clippers, and I bet... Nobody predicted the Suns. Maybe a few people picked it, picked the Clippers, but probably not, honestly, at the beginning of the playoffs, too. So, um, But that's who I'll pick. But I'll also say Denver is really, really good. Uh, Dallas is really, really good, and they're going to be as long as Luka Doncic, you know, walks the face of this earth uh, on that team. And the Suns still are the same team who went into the conference finals last year. Uh, and, I mean, sorry, not even the conference finals. They went into the NBA finals. They took two games in the NBA finals. They were up to nothing. So they are still a good team too, um, but I mean, just as we saw with the Lakers, the Lakers won the title and immediately regressed to uh, losing in the in the what was that the first round of the playoffs? So I mean, it, it's very very possible that the Suns could do the same. I wouldn't pick them to lose in the first round, but uh, it, it's possible that these teams could could lose really early in the playoffs. And uh, I, I mean, it, it's possible for all of them because. Guess how many teams I just named? I just named five of them. One of those teams will end up playing one of the other teams because of how it works. Lakers, Warriors, Suns, Nuggets, Jazz, I believe are all major contenders. And then you also have the Clippers. You also have the Mavericks. You also have Portland. They're all really good. I just named eight teams. That's the whole playoffs pretty much. But also some of those teams I mentioned, I mean, you wouldn't think of the Clippers as a first round exit team. But when you think of those first five teams, someone has to lose. And actually four of those teams have to lose. So... I mean, it's just how crowded the West is. I mean, it's really insane. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if both of my teams that I have making the conference finals lose in the first round. I wouldn't be surprised if they play each other in the first round because of the way that the rest of the conference shakes out. So of those eight teams you just mentioned, which team do you think is the most likely to not make the playoffs? I think I would probably go... Ooh, that's tough. Um, I might go... I honestly might go with the Clippers. Uh, not make the playoffs. And the reason why is just because I believe that they still have been good enough that they have a little bit of a target on their back, but they're also not good enough to withstand better teams than them placing that target on them, and they can really be affected by injuries. Um, and we don't really know what's still going on with Kawhi's injury. It could end up as the same situation that the Spurs had a few years ago, where everybody still thought they were going to be great, and all of a sudden... Kawhi is just not able to not able to play at all, and then that team just spiraled downwards. 
Um, I could also see the same thing happening with Clay coming back a little bit too late to save the Warriors. Um, but I think that Steph is is going to play well enough to keep that team at least in contention. And by the time Clay Thompson comes back, they'll probably move up a seed or two. And I think they'll already start at like the nine or the eight seed. But, you know, I also didn't even mention a team that made the playoffs last year, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I think that's probably the ninth team that you'd say that's the team on the outside looking in. I would take all eight teams with the teams like the Grizzlies, teams like the Kings, uh, teams like New Orleans right on the outside looking in, but just not able to make it. Um, but it'll be an interesting season. I mean, you could even see some of these teams get a, get a little bit of an injury bug and slip down. You could even see a team like Minnesota, who has a lot of talent, come up and probably not make the playoffs, but we're keeping the play-in game. You could see them get into the play-in game, and then who knows what happens from there. So uh, you really never know, especially with this new format. There are basically 10 teams that make the playoffs. So while I'll say the eight teams, I think... It's, it's more likely to speculate on who might lose in a play-in game uh, than who will miss the overall playoffs. But it's a tough decision, and I don't really think there's a great chance of any of them missing the playoffs. But at the same time, they're all competing with each other, and then the team that gets slept on the most will probably end up sneaking up on one or two of those teams. So it's a very interesting, crowded West. All right, well, you, you anticipated my next question, which is of those eight teams you didn't mention, who what, what other teams have a shot at the playoffs? But... Uh, since you answered that question, let's move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Give me your, your thoughts, your predictions there. It was a semifinal matchup last year. I'm going with it as the finals matchup this year. It's the Nets against the Bucks. Uh, I, I Even with Kyrie Irving not playing, I still think the Nets are just better than every other roster in the East other than the Bucks. And if Ben Simmons was going to join the 76ers and that situation was stable and they had nothing wrong there, or they had already traded him and got a good haul back for him, I would say probably the 76ers instead of the Nets because they'd be one player up. But as you look at it now, take Kyrie Irving out, take Ben Simmons out. They're pretty much on equal footing. They both take out an all-star. Arguably, well, no, not arguably. They're both the second options on their team. Uh, Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant are the leaders of the Nets, or the 76ers and the Nets, respectively. So I I honestly don't think that that will even, I think it will even it out between those two, which means that I'm going to have to go with uh, the Nets and the Bucks, although it's, I mean, a pretty cliche matchup, to be quite honest. So uh, what about the Heat? Your thoughts on them? The Heat are a good team. I mean, they pl- they position themselves well in the offseason to get back to the form that they had in the bubble, but I still just don't think, I, I think last year, the way the Bucks kind of discarded them was not exactly, not exactly indicative of exactly what this team was, but the Heat also did lose some pieces while gaining some. Overall, it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a net net zero, but the, it was a net positive. I would argue their additions and subtractions, but not enough of a positive for me to, to for me to promote them into the conference finals discussion. Okay, and uh, what about a surprise team in the East? Maybe whether a team that nobody thinks is going to make the playoffs that is going to make the playoffs, a team that's been terrible that might be respectable, compete for. Playoff spot. You got any thoughts there? Well, I think a team that's been terrible that's going to make a playoff spot is the Chicago Bulls, but that's not really a surprise to anybody because they did add a bunch of pieces in the offseason, so I won't talk about them too much. How about the matchup that was the most interesting in the Eastern Conference first round last year, which is the 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 uh, the Hawks and the Knicks? I mean, either of these teams could still... I mean, look, the Hawks made the conference finals last year. They're no joke. Uh, they can get that exact form last year. I mean, it's just like the Suns in the West. You... You might say the other rosters are better, but we said the same thing last year, and that didn't end up making any difference. So it's still entirely possible that the Hawks and the Suns uh, end up in the conference finals. 
And uh, I, I, I'd say the Hawks might not be a surprise team, so maybe that doesn't fit the criteria. And to be quite honest with you, the whole East is really just not that good beyond the first five teams, I would say. Um, I think after you get down below the Knicks and the Hawks and then the big three of Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn, and then you also put in the Heat, I guess, as the sixth team, the other teams in the East just aren't amazing. I mean, the Magic aren't going to be doing anything this year. Uh, the Pistons, even with Cade Cunningham, probably won't be doing that much. The Pacers probably also won't be doing that much. Cleveland, no. Uh, I mean, you just look down the whole East, and you don't really see a team that you can say, "Yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna jump jump up the boards." But uh, maybe that opens up room for a team like Charlotte to have Lamelo Ball become really an all star, a high level all star type player rather than just a rookie of the year player. Uh, and that could maybe spark a first-round upset for them if they get high enough in the regular season seeding to maybe play a team like the Knicks or the Hawks, not necessarily playing Brooklyn or Philadelphia, who are probably solid enough to beat really any other roster in the East that's not playing the other ones of the top three teams. Uh, but I, I guess Charlotte would be my, in the longest answer ever, uh, I guess Charlotte would be my team to go with there just because I really don't think there are any surprise teams. I think we know the six that are good, and the rest of them just... Really, I wouldn't put any house money on any of them. So I'll go with Charlotte just by saying young roster gets better, and sometimes that's all it takes, just like the Suns last year. All right, uh, your prediction for the NBA Finals? Well, it's the cliche matchup that everybody wanted last year but that we never got. How about the Lakers and the Nets? I mean, it's almost the same thing as predicting the Dodgers and the Yankees to win to get into the World Series. I think everybody knows that it will never happen, but it's still the only matchup that you can really legitimately kind of believe in when you look at it. Uh, at the beginning of the year, you just go, mm, I don't want to pick the Dodgers. I don't want to pick the Yankees, but 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 who else, right? Uh, I, I don't think there's a who else with the, with the Nets and with the Lakers. I mean, I really do think that the Lakers still have this belief that they are the best, and I think that they're actually not. But uh, I think if they can turn it in, if they can turn it into motivation in the right way, that it can actually make them as good as they were in the bubble. However, I could also see this team just completely spiraling downwards with some injuries and stuff that they might have to deal with, and uh, I could completely see it just unraveling on the Lakers and the West being a little bit too tough now, uh, now that everybody's still kind of gunning for them, because I still believe that even though the Suns made the finals, I, I think you'd agree with me. I think there's still the sense that the Lakers are the team to beat regardless of who made the finals, uh, and I still, I still think there's also the same sense in the East that the Nets are the team to beat, even without Kyrie Irving, even without them winning the finals and with the Bucks winning the finals. I still think that that stigma will probably make it so that uh, they are not going to make it, but I'm still going to predict them regardless because they're the safe pick and because I think really any other team, I think everybody's just equally as likely out of, the, uh, of, out of really a range of like four or five teams in both conferences. Yeah, agree with you. Um, it's the most sensical picks. Doesn't mean it's going to come true. And it's like picking those two teams or the field in terms of odds. So probably the best odds of any single teams to make it, but the odds of the field happening are greater. And I will say, I just sat up here, made a prediction, and said I'm going to be wrong, which just goes to show you that, I mean, there's really no way to predict this accurately. There's so many different things that can happen in an 82-game season. Um, I think even as we look, if you make a parallel connection to the NBA, to the NFL, uh, you had the Chiefs and the Bucks last year, and you expected them, them both to be there. Uh, maybe not the Bucks because we didn't know exactly how good everything was around Tom Brady until, we, until he got there. Uh, but... You know, you still see this year, even though the Chiefs aren't even playing too well, you're everybody's still thinking the Chiefs are gonna 
are going to somehow come back and win their division and the, or win the AL West, or the AL West. Wow, baseball talk. Uh, win the AFC West and then also go on to the Super Bowl and everybody sees the Bucks starting six and one says the same thing. That's kind of how it feels with the Nets and the Lakers. Even if you can kind of think in your head, the Chiefs aren't losing games because they're better than everybody else. They're losing games because they're not playing well and. Uh, there are some other teams that are gunning for them, and I think the same thing is true in the NBA with the Lakers, and I think the same thing is true with the Nets. The Lakers did not lose a playoff series by chance. They lost a playoff series because they got outplayed, and the Suns were probably not even the best team. They just came out the really the healthiest. Um, so I, I think you could see these teams make the ideal matchup that everybody wants, uh, and I just find it hard to bet against Kevin Durant and LeBron. I mean, when I'm just looking at these teams, I, I can say other teams. I can think of the Suns. I can think of the Bucks. But when I go back to it, it's just always, who's going to take their team to the finals? And I have to believe in LeBron and Kevin Durant over anybody else. And there is only one other guy who I would put up there with them, and that's Giannis. Yep. Uh, so that would be the only one I would change is to put that as the Bucks. But I, I'm not a strong believer in the repeat, although the NBA has a lot more repeat champions than the other sports do. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks were there either. All right, if, you get that, if, the, if we get that dream matchup, Lakers-Nets, who would you think would win? I think the Nets would win. I don't. I don't think that the Lakers. I was a. I was a Lakers over Nets person last year, but uh, I think by the end of the season, if the Nets are just. I mean, but for both of these teams, it's just who's healthy, and if they're not fully healthy, neither of them are making the finals. I think everybody knows that. And the thing is, you're really just betting: are the Lakers going to be healthy, and are the Nets going to be healthy? And frankly, I think it's almost a safe bet to say they're not going to be healthy, uh, based on their injury issues. But in a perfect world. This would be my matchup, and I think the Nets would win it. All right. Uh, who do you think is going to be the league MVP this year? I'm going to go not necessarily off the board, but, you know, everybody talks about LeBron may- maybe winning another MVP as some retribution for some ones that he maybe could have won in the past and didn't. Uh, you could go with a guy like like Giannis, who didn't win the league MVP last year after winning two before. You can go with Joel Embiid, who arguably would have made the MVP race a two-horse race, like a very tough two-horse race last year if he hadn't gotten injured and had been out for some significant time. Then you can also look at a Nikola Jokic, who won the MVP last year. You can look at a Luka Doncic, who maybe probably could have won the MVP last year. Um, but I'm going to go with a guy who's not off the radar, but I think somewhere in that mess of like five or six guys that everybody's thinking about that I just talked about, I'm going to take Steph Curry, just because I do think that the Warriors are going to end up in a position where even before February or March or January, whenever Clay Thompson comes back, I believe they'll be in a good enough position that the league will realize that Steph Curry really is the most valuable player because the the, the Warriors don't have a big three. I think it's that simple. Uh, and if they're going to end up better than the other teams, they're going to end up better than teams who have big threes. They're going to end up better with a team who has Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker. They're going to end up better with a team who has LeBron, AD, and Russ. I mean, they're going to have to beat somebody there. They're going to have to be better than Kawhi and Paul George. So if it ends up like that, I think you have to say that Steph Curry is the MVP. And I think, frankly, if he had done what he did at the end of the season all of last year, I think that he would have won league MVP. I think it was just that their seed was a little bit too low and that uh, overall Jokic just led his team to higher heights at the end of the season uh, and just played better throughout the year just at a sustained level. And kind of that era, and just kind of in the era of big men not really doing much for him to kind of defy, defy that mold. I think that's what got him the MVP. But I think we can go back to Steph Curry for this one. All right, and rookie of the year. If this sprained ankle from Cade Cunningham that held him out out of the first game is not going to hold him out for too long, 
I will pick him. But um, I actually don't think I actually don't think this is Cade Cunningham against Jalen Green, unlike everybody else. I actually think that whoever comes up with the best team that's not Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green has the second best shot. I think Cade and Jalen Green are going to put up great numbers, but their teams are not going to do much at all. Um, I think if Toronto somehow experiences a resurgence and it's behind possibly and it's behind mainly in part due to Scotty Barnes, then maybe he could make a chance. Maybe he could make a run at it. I don't think the Magic are going to do much, so I'm not really putting any money on Jalen Suggs or Franz Wagner for that matter either. Um, but maybe you could even see a Davion Mitchell get it if he plays really well on defense and uh, he and the Kings start. And I mean, if the Kings go from the worst defensive team in the, in the league even to like a top 15 unit and make the playoffs, I think, and he's rated well, I think you have to give him some credit, and maybe that credit comes in the form of the Rookie of the Year. Uh, so you never know what could really happen. I think it's actually a pretty bunched-up field this year, even though everybody was talking about that top three. Uh, and then I also wouldn't even rule out Evan Mobley for the Cavs either, but I just don't think that the these guys in very small market teams who aren't on good teams at all are really going to make that much of an impact in terms of awards races because no one's going to be really watching them and no one's really going to see their impact the whole year, whereas... Like a Luka Doncic playing in Dallas, that really helped him a lot because they, while it still, while they weren't a great team yet, he was still playing well enough in a recognized enough team. Uh, you don't get the same thing with Cleveland. Uh, you don't get the same thing with Detroit, and I mean, you get you get that with Houston, but I don't know if Jalen Green is going to play well enough to beat Cade out for that. So, uh, I think overall, I'm going to pick Cade Cunningham though, just if he gets healthy. But again, all of this stuff is in a perfect world if these guys are healthy. So I'd probably bank on if any of these are going to happen. I would put it on Steph Curry winning the MVP. I think that's the most likely of any of the five things I just laid out, just because of the fact that he really could have won it last year. And it almost feels like whenever somebody gets not even robbed, but people, some people feel like someone snubbed one year, they almost want to give them the award more next year. And I think that's what Steph Curry is going to have, and I think he's going to play just about the same as he did last year, and the team's going to end up better too. Okay, well, that looks uh, that wraps up our look at the start and the predicted future of this year's NBA season. Uh, that also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, October 25th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, which can be found on our website, 4thand24.com, uh, and we'll also discuss the weekend's college football and NFL action. In the meantime, please sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings and his predictions of the entire college football and NFL seasons on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.